Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Starting Small Music Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McCormick, and today we have a very special guest. We have artist and songwriter Wyatt McCubbin. When first trying to pursue music, Wyatt made the trip from Ohio every other week for six years to write songs in Nashville. Now signed to 50 Egg Music and Taper Music, Wyatt has released some awesome music for himself, including his single, Honky Damn Tonk, and also having major label cuts on artists such as Riley Green, Easton Corbin, and Dustin Lynch. I had a really awesome time talking to Wyatt. He's a great guy, and I know you guys are going to enjoy this episode. I hope you guys enjoy, and we'll see you at the end. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Starting Small Music Podcast. Today, we have hit songwriter Wyatt McCubbin. Wyatt, how are you doing today? I don't know about that hit songwriter stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good, man. How about you? I'm doing real good. So uh, getting at the start of your uh, life, where did you grow up, and how did you first get into music? Man, I grew up in a small town in southwestern Ohio uh, called Selma, Ohio. If anybody knows where like Springfield Dayton area is, okay. uh, kind of southwestern Ohio. But uh, I grew up there, uh, born and raised in the same house that, that my parents still live in to this day. So that's where my roots are. It's nothing but flat corn and bean fields up where I'm from. <laughs> uh great uh things for a country song right there nothing but yeah, a lot lots of inspiration lots <laughs> of it now did you grow up in a musical family or are you uh off on your own in that uh a very small musical family my grandpa played a couple chords on the guitar nothing serious just kind of a hobby thing um and then i had some cousins that uh played you know at family reunions and stuff like that that uh, they never went out and played shows or nothing, but it, it was always picking parties around around the house uh, or around, around their parts down in more southern Ohio when we'd go down there for reunions a couple times a year. And I always remember being really intrigued by uh, them being able to play a whole song through and sing it too. And it never really dawned on me that, that it was even a, a possibility in my life. Yeah. So what, who were some of the first bands you started listening to as a kid that like kind of got you into music? I would say, well, the first record I ever bought with my own money was Back in Black. So, <laughs> so I was a huge ACDC fan. But then my parents had music around the house. So I remember being exposed to tons of Alabama records. And of course, Merle Haggard and George Jones and things like that. Keith Whitley, Sammy Kershaw. Obviously, like country music, but there were elements of rock and roll and soul. Lots of Bob Seger, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. Just a very wide, wide range of, of music uh, that I remember growing up. And I remember hearing just the very distorted cassette tape signature sound uh, on some of those albums. Uh, like even things like a live Kiss record. I don't know. It's just uh, very nostalgic to me to hear those records now and I think it's any record that you grew up with or you spent time with as a as a kid it doesn't matter if I'm not saying these aren't good records but later on you might listen to them and be like wow that's that's not that really special or that that's like whatever that is to you but it they are they will always be special because you you would shed it on them Right. And I mean, it's funny that you said that, like, the distortion kind of adds to it, because I know that same feeling, like, when you listen to a vinyl record player, just that little crackle and pop in between the songs really adds personality to the record. Yeah, you know? man. Yeah, no doubt. So uh, it was in high school that you started kind of playing your own guitar and, like, playing out in your town, or uh, did you start playing gigs with a band or anything like that when you're still at home? So I broke my arm playing football in seventh grade. 
and I had to take some kind of therapy for my wrist and arm. I had a couple surgeries and they said, man, you should uh, look into maybe playing guitar. That'd be good therapy. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that's, I mean, that, sure, why not? That sounds like fun. And I started, that's why I started playing music. It, literally a lucky break. And wow. I soon after started writing songs, um, you know, all by myself, uh, just trying to rhyme stuff that made sense to me, maybe not to anybody else, but... <laughs> Um, but yes, I did start playing in honky tonks and bars when I was like 14 or 15 years old. I started really hitting some of those bars in my hometown, like places that my mom and dad had to drive me to and, and take me into because I couldn't technically get in there. Yeah. Um, and man, I built a really cool fan base that I'm, I'm still feeding today with music and songs and, and uh, they've supported me and I, I want to keep, you know, giving them what they deserve too. Totally. So, so coming out of high school, did you move to Nashville right out of graduation? What did you do coming out of high school? I had been, I'd been to Nashville a couple times, probably very prematurely. Um, I was not ready to come to Nashville, but uh, I had made some connections by coming down here and just out of high school, um, I had had a guy named Billy Yates, who's a great songwriter, a country singer and songwriter. Um, he had got a hold of me over social media and pretty much offered me a, a publishing deal, long story short. And I had that kind of waiting for me to, when I got out of high school. So I, being the rebellious one that I was, I said, well, I don't want to wait the whole year. I want to get out a half year early and get down there. So technically, I started, that's when I started making that trip, the real trips down here and writing songs with guys. And Billy would set me up with co-writes. And a lot of times he'd call me on my way down and say, hey man, uh, don't bother swinging by here. Cause I was staying at, I was, he was letting me stay at his house. Don't bother swinging by here, man. You go on into town, I got you a right set up. Oh, wow. So a lot of, a lot of things like that. Uh, uh, and I've, I've met some of my best friends and uh, that way and build, built my, a lot of the camp that I'm still writing with today. Now, how important do you think that is uh, moving to Nashville? It seems like everyone has like a little camp, uh, like when you first come to town. What do those first like years look like for you kind of building that like, camp of yours and networking? I think it's so important because you can shoot and, and, and for the stars and strive to write with guys that have had hits. And I've been very lucky to, to be able to get to know a lot of writers that have been here for a long time. But I think what I've learned is, is uh, finding your, your peers in your, in your so-called uh, so class of Nashville will, could, can and will pay off in the long run. Because um, I heard somebody say this the other day, look at, uh, I mean, look at Luke Combs, for example, that there was a group of guys and obviously writing songs with him. And I think someone said that he was responsible for more first-time number ones than almost any artist ever because those guys wrote songs at the very start of his journey and are still celebrating hits now. Um, yeah. So you never know who you're going to be coming up the ranks with. You could be coming up and you could go to Tin Roof on to Mumbrian here in Nashville and meet the next just superstar and start writing songs with them when 
nothing's going on in this world. Yeah. So I have, uh, I have really taken notice of that. And I think a lot of, a lot of people should don't, don't be above writing with your peers and don't, don't like, you got to start somewhere and, and you have to, you can't really skip steps. So I think really building that thing and building relationships and core groups of friends and writers, like a lot of those guys that you will come up with will turn into lifelong friends because they've been through the trenches with you. Totally. And when you guys are on top, I mean, then you guys can all be on the road together. I think that's all like (laughs) an important part of it, you know, because then when you're on the road, you celebrate that much more. Right. So who would, I mean, you said that it's kind of like a class, you know, who would you say some some other artists and songwriters that are kind of in your class of the year that you moved to town? Well, I feel like I'm even behind these guys, but I mean, guys like Drew Parker, um, like I, 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 they were here just a hair before me technically living here um, because I was still making the back and forth track for a long time. I was, I was back and forth every other week for about, five or six years from Ohio to here. It was a lot. Um, but I, I mean, guys like, I mean, my group of guys are guys like Eric Dillon, um, Drew Parker, <clears throat> and then obviously like some, some hit, hit writers like Jonathan Singleton and Tony Lane. And, and uh, I, I feel like I kind of, I might be contradicting myself because I have very, I have a very scattered group of, of writers of guys my age and and guys and girls my age and then also more seasoned guys yeah so um i i think for me it was uh i will say this to to maybe not contradict myself but to bring up a valid point being also in the room with people that have had hits and have had success um Obviously, they know what a great song is. They know what it takes to write a hit song or, or a great song. Um, and they'll beat you up. <laughs> like, like you kind of need to be beat up. Um, totally. Because when you're writing songs with your buddies, you're having fun and you're, 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 you're just trying to make stuff rhyme. But when you get into a high-pressured write, there is a, a uh, sink or swim element to it. To where okay i have to learn how to do this or i'm going to be eaten for lunch here soon <laughs> and i will never be in this room again so i think both things are very important both both elements of that yeah so i mean uh you said that for for about five years you came to town every other week or so and i mean that's kind of yeah. like the path i'm on i try to come like once a month and so yeah. what do you say the importance is of actually moving to town i mean did you see a big transition in your career once you actually relocated i did personally everybody's story is different there's guy there are guys that i mean one of the big arguments is well i mean it worked for george Strait to not live here or move here um but i mean obviously you never know what's what he spent a lot of time here like a lot of people everybody's story is different all i can speak is uh from my experience but i will say my career changed when i lived when i moved here um there is, there is a part of that must be present to win uh, that is true here. Not all the time, but there are opportunities that you can get a call this morning and say, hey, man, this afternoon, what do you have going on? And 
I, I realized like when I was six hours away in Ohio, um, I couldn't make, I couldn't swing that. Um, th those Hail Mary chances are, are very few and far between, but they can change your life. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot. This whole thing's like playing the lottery in so many ways, but I noticed that, and it only makes sense that it happened this way for me, but I noticed that the more songs I wrote by being here every day writing, obviously the more activity I got. It's like throwing things up against a wall. Something is bound to stick. And I can say within the last year of, of uh, I've lived here technically three years. And within the last year, I've probably been the most busiest and I've had the most cuts. I think, I mean, there's, my first major label cuts have been within the last year. And I think, I think we're up to like five or six. Heck yeah. And it's, it, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's seriously building blocks. And I don't think I could have truly done that without being here and, and truly just grinding it out, man. Uh, so, some days I think, wow, I write too much and I need a break. And then other days when Friday rolls around and you get a cut that was released that you almost forgot about mm -hmm. that you wrote a year ago, it's like, oh, wait, yeah, I should still be doing this. I can't. Like, if I don't get up and go to town and write a song, someone else will. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say, like, uh, when they don't feel like writing, they just remember that Ashley Gorley still writes every day. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, he's right. He, he's one of the guys that's still doing sometimes two a days. Wow. So, I mean, uh, we're, I want to get into all your major label cuts here in a minute, but I know that you put out your own music as well. So what's the, what was yes. like, the importance of uh, still pursuing, like uh, putting out your own music, stuff that you could call your own, not only giving your stuff away to the major yeah. label artists as well? So my thing is, I've always, I've always been an artist, even, even writing songs for so-called, you know, other artists. Uh, or writing songs that turn into other cuts. Um, I, it's a blessing and a curse to be an artist. You will always have your stamp on something. And I came here to be a singer and a player and a songwriter, and I wanted my name to be on record too. Um, I'm still in that uh, age bracket to where it makes sense to, you know, put records out. I mean, there, there is no age bracket that doesn't make sense, but I'm 27 and I've been here long enough to build relationships and get outside cuts, but also I never wanted to lose sight of the big picture, which was to hopefully have hits of my own as an artist and just release stuff I'm proud of, country music. Um, and that, that's, that's where my heart lives, man. I, I, there, I can go into a room, like today I'll write a song, and I, we might love it. And it might be a just big old high at the end of the day, but it's still not a high like getting on stage and playing a song that you wrote for yourself, for a group of people, and even seeing them sing along, which I've noticed after releasing some of this stuff, there are some diehard fans out there that I've run across that are, you know, just jamming out to this. And, and, and that makes me happier than I've ever been just because, and, and that, that tells me, okay, I'm not crazy. I need to, pursue this thing because that's where the real joy is for me totally and uh you were out on the road was it last year with lane hardy lane hardy and uh midland wow and, man uh, midland would be a crazy band to tour with uh i'm sure yeah. you about a live show from them 
Yeah, man. We, uh, I think I did 10 or 12 dates with them last year and, uh, and then had opportunities for Joba for Scotty McCreary and even Hank Williams Jr. Really? And a lot of really cool shows, man. Do you have a favorite show that sticks out? Man, those shows with Hank were really special. But I tell you, one of my favorite sets was, uh, I think we were in Doswell, Virginia. Yeah, Doswell, Virginia, just near Richmond with Scotty McCreary is a huge outdoor stage. This, this stage had to have been 60 feet high. Wow. It was massive. And uh, we had a great time. It was a great crowd. And uh, me and the guys I took out with me, I had a three-piece that night, a uh, bass player and a, and a uh, dobro player. And we just, we just had a ball, man. It was hot. We sweat all over everything, but we had the time of our lives, man. <laughs> So I want to hear, uh, you had a cut on the latest Dustin Lynch album, something that makes you smile. Yeah. Can you tell me the story behind the writing of that song? And also when you found out it's going to be on the new Dustin album, man, this is a wild story, but you put your seatbelt on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, man, not to bring the mood down or anything, but my, my grandfather had passed away last year and I'd had a lot of just, uh, a lot of that on my mind, obviously. My my grand my grandfather and my grandmother actually passed away about six weeks apart from each other. And uh, thank you. Uh, but me being down here uh, compared to being back and forth like I used to be, I started counting trips, and I started it really started to sink in towards the end where I knew that they you know weren't in great health and I might not have that much longer. I started realizing like over a year, I might get to see him 10 or 12 times. And it just broke my heart. And with all that on my mind, I had a right come up with Eric Dillon and uh, Andy Sheridan. And I, I kind of had a little guitar part worked out. I did not have that title. Eric Dillon had that title. But as soon as he said it, <clears throat> so do something that makes you smile. What's crazy is his wife was about to leave her job to go to another job that might not have been as, maybe not as big of a job, but she loved it. She wanted to do it. it so that's where, the, that's where the title came from for him. But then I got to thinking just about time, the time aspect of it. And that's where a lot of that, uh, technically the third verse, after that first course where it talks about, you know, for me, it's, going down to that fishing hole where he taught grandpa taught me how to tie a knot. Um, that that's where I was inspired by that song. Man, the the story I live for those kinds of songs, just big life songs. It was a special day that day. It was the first time the three of us have had ever written together. Oh wow. And we wrote that song, I think well it was on a Tuesday. And on Friday I got an email from my publisher saying that uh, Tim McGraw's camp had put it on hold and they wanted to hold it for Tim. And apparently at the same time, another publisher that was uh, involved with this whole process uh, had pitched it to Dustin Lynch and he had put it on hold. So it was almost a bidding war. And, really? um, the deciding factor was, you know, I would, 
I wish they both could have cut it. Maybe that maybe that's down the road, but uh, I mean, as a rider, you you're just tickled to death to even have a chance to be in that position. Yeah. So Dustin said, "Okay, here's the deal. I will cut it Wednesday." Like this was like a week or two turnaround time. Yeah, I think he was going to cut the following Wednesday. So we wrote it, and a week and a half later, it was like cut. And then I'm trying to think when we wrote it. Like it was another couple months, and it was out. It was okay. just – it was such a whirlwind of a of just a happy time. And what a cool album to be a part of too, man. He's out there crushing it. For sure. And, uh, apparently he had – it, this is weird too, just being the writer that sang the demo. He to think that he heard my vocal on it and said, "You know what? I think I want to do that." Of course, Andy Sheridan produced the track, uh, the demo anyway, and just nailed it. And uh, yeah, it, apparently it was just meant to be, man. Heck yeah! Another song I want to ask you about too is uh, I'm a huge Easton Corbin fan. I think he's one of the most yeah. underrated artists in country music for the amount of hits he's provided us you know and uh you have his new single uh let's do country right uh what's yeah, the story man. behind that one that we wrote that probably three or four years ago and uh easton we wrote with easton and uh his 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 original producer on those first couple records and then his new producer th those were the four of us in the room oh that's and awesome so we wrote that thing and kind of nobody we didn't really talk about it afterwards and I, and I always thought, like, man, that's pretty dang cool. That's fun. Like, I love the wagon wheel chandelier line and, and things like that. Um, so when I had heard that he cut it because he had, he had done a show here in Nashville at 3rd and Lindsley, and I thought, oh, my gosh, that's a bucket list cut for me because I'm like you. You probably uh, – th those records that he put out, man, with, with the big hits on it were – a big part of me picking up a guitar all right or all at over least the road or, a little more country yeah, man. yeah i remember like after i started playing guitar i had learned a little more country than that and i always loved loved his voice and his records so when i got to meet east and, and like work with him it made me like him even more because he's just one of the best dudes ever man so to have that cut is really really special and he man he he nailed it he sang the absolute crap out of it. So uh, I like to close all my interviews with what your advice is to uh, aspiring musicians and songwriters out there. Uh, wow. I would say there's no better time than now. And with that being said, uh, just, just to chase something, your dream. But one of the quotes that's been sticking out to me, and it's been popping up a lot of different places, and I, I don't think that's on accident, but I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but uh, nothing gets done in your comfort zone. So, you know, I had, it's, it's the old things like you got to be uncomfortable to get things done. You're moving, you're, you're, you're going for something. If you're in your comfort zone and I've been there to where, wow, I'm playing this way safe. I'm not getting anything done. I'm not pushing myself. I'm not, I'm not working with new people. I'm just writing with the same people over and over. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. It's going to work at some point if it's, if it's meant to be. But 
from my experience, I've learned get out of that dang comfort zone, have some fun, and just go for it, man. What is it's not going to hurt anything? Heck yeah! Actually, and uh, one more thing: what's next for your uh, solo career as well? So next for me is putting out more music and obviously getting getting some more shows together. Where where are you from, by chance? Uh, South Bend, Indiana. Notre Dame. Oh my God, man, we're pretty much neighbors where I'm from. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, a big goal for me is to hit that Midwest circuit, you know, going to places like Indianapolis and then moving over to my home state in Columbus and, and Cincinnati and then Illinois, just really honing in on where a lot of my base is along with putting new music out. So I think uh, those things will go hand in hand. Get new music out and then go tour on it. Well, guys, there you have it. My conversation with Wyatt McCubbin. Wyatt, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I had a great time talking with you. Everyone go follow him on Instagram at Wyatt McCubbin and go stream his single right now, Honky Damn Tonk. I want to give a big thank you to TBD Coffee Co. for being the official coffee of Starting Small Music. Check them out at tbdcoffeeco.com. And make sure to come back next week to hear my conversation with artist and songwriter Gabriella Rose. Check out Starting Small Music on YouTube to see all the video content from our interviews. And also, follow Starting Small Music on Instagram, at Starting Small Music, and let us know who you'd like to hear on the podcast next. And remember, everyone starts small.